Good Good morning. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Revelation chapter 3. Uh, you know, we're gearing up uh, for getting back to school this week and next week. Uh, I asked the kids at our family service this past Wednesday, all the kids were in the sanctuary uh, near the beginning of my message, uh, how many of them were uh, excited about that, got about booed off the stage, uh, and then asked the parents that same question, and I got the loudest amen of the night, you know, so some mixed emotions, I know. Uh, but we all know what the coming days uh, will, will hold as far as school goes. School's going to kick off. Kids are going to start learning things, and they're going to start uh, completing assignments and projects, getting quizzed and graded along the way. And, and then in a couple months, they're going to get what? They're going to get a report card. All right? They're going to receive uh, an evaluation. And uh, for the last several weeks, uh, we've been studying seven letters from Jesus in the first three chapters of Revelation. Uh, addressed to real churches that existed in the first century uh, in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And in a way, you could say each of them have received a report card. Each of them have received a spiritual evaluation from Christ about their church. And this morning, we arrive at the last church, and they're going to get an evaluation too. Now, I never really liked report card day. Anybody with me? Especially when I knew there there was going to be some bad stuff in there. You know what I mean? Especially when I knew my parents did not know there was going to be a bad grade on that thing, right? Uh, getting a bad report card, getting a bad grade on a quiz or a test uh, is, always, is never fun, right? But what always makes it worse is when you are expecting a good grade but got a bad grade. Have you ever been there? Right? You walk out of class. You've been there before, right? You walk out of class and you're like, you turn in that paper or it's after that test and you're like, teacher, just go ahead and put the big beautiful A at the top. I aced it. There's no reason to even grade it. I mean, that is an A paper. That is an A test. And then maybe later that week or in a couple days, uh, you have, remember that moment in Christmas Story where Ralphie turns in that paper on the BB gun, right? And he gets it back. You have one of those moments where you're expecting to see that A. You're, expect, you're expecting to see a nice little note from the teacher about how great of a student you are. And instead, you see a big old fat F, right? Good paper's covered in red ink. With like a little note there for you, a different kind of note, right? It says, see me, like, uh, a.k.a. I need to tell you in person after class how badly you bombed this, all right? It's great for my little ego. But actually, it probably is good every once in a while for our ego. Uh, moments in our life that, that humble us, right? That kind of get us back into touch with reality. Spiritually, we need those moments. And this church in Laodicea got one of those moments. They got one of those moments as they received this letter. This is a ritzy church. It's an influential uh, church. It's located in a really nice town. And they, they thought they were all good. Their church, they thought they were all that. They never imagined that they were going to get anything other than an awesome grade from Christ and instead get the harshest rebuke of all the churches. And it's really a loving, harsh rebuke. And as we... Lean in this morning. I pray that God would give us teachable hearts to receive it ourselves. Church, this is a word for us today. All right, stand with your Bibles open. I'm going to begin to read in verse 14 of Revelation chapter 3. The angel of the church, the Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. 
I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, that you may be rich in white garments, that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Would you have a seat as I pray? Father, I pray that you would this morning give us these spiritual ears, not just physical ears, who can hear this and kind of make sense of this, Lord, but you give us spiritual ears, Lord, to, to hear it, that you convict us, Lord, that you give our, our minds the understanding we need as we go through this text this morning, Father, that you give our hearts the faith that we need to believe it, Lord, and that you would give us in our life the capacity to apply this. May this word sink into our hearts in such a way, Lord, that it will produce everlasting fruit in our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I want to give you two uh, truths in this text this morning, all right? And the first truth, it's very clear, it's right here in front of us, staring at us, and it's this. Christ detests lukewarm spirituality. Christ detests lukewarm spirituality. It's clear that Jesus is presenting this issue of lukewarmness right here in the life of a disciple as a big problem. We know it's a serious issue because of what he says in verse 16 there. Because you are lukewarm and either hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. All right? The original phrase there uh, for spit you out of my mouth is emeo. It literally means to vomit. All right? So if there's a prize for the worst church in the lineup of seven churches right here at the beginning of Revelation, I think the prize probably goes to this church. It's the only church that makes Jesus want to puke. Now, why in the world would Jesus feel that way about this church? All right? I think uh, it's found in that, the, the line at the beginning uh, of verse 17 there. Jesus tells him, you say, I'm rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, I definitely think that there, there's something about their apathy that made Jesus nauseous, but I, I really think what makes Jesus want to vomit them out of his mouth, as it says here, is what's behind that apathy, like what's beneath that apathetic spirit, and it was their arrogance. All right, there's no church in this lineup of churches that is in a bad of shape as the church in Laodicea, and there's no church that thinks there is awesome. And Jesus is letting them know, you are not who you think you are. Jesus is looking at them saying, you have been deceived. Look at the way he introduces himself as the amen. Amen means this is true. He says, I am the amen, the faithful and true witness. He's introducing himself that way because he's about to give them a real diagnosis of their true spiritual condition. And a big problem in their life is they don't see who they really are. Did you know it's possible this morning for you to not know who you are? You say, well, I'm Bill. I'm Frank. I know who I am. I know where I'm from. But what I mean is we all suffer from at least small amounts of self-deception. In fact, it's something that runs deep in all of us. I mean, have you ever been unaware of something about yourself that people around you were aware of, but you weren't? Have you ever been in that situation? 
told this story before, but I think it's worth telling again right here. Uh, many, many years ago, when I was student pastor here at Schindler Drive, up in the youth room, and it was one of those nights, man, I was preaching on all cylinders. I mean, I was preaching a sermon, you know what I mean? Everything was coming out right. At least I thought it was. And, uh, you know, I felt like, man, revival's about to break out in this place. These kids will listen to me. And I thought the whole room was with me, except for out of my peripheral vision, I saw a, a group of these guys just kind of being knuckleheaded guys here on the front row, and wasn't paying, trying to pay not, not to pay attention to them, and, and they just continued to stirring, and they had some paper they were passing around, passing notes right in front of me. At one point, it looked like they were trying to wave it at me, like they wanted me to see it. And so as I was moving along, trying to not pay attention to them and ignore them, finally I'd had enough, and I went over, and I said, give me that piece of paper. You want a bit of distraction? I'll read it in front of everybody. How about that? And I looked at the note, and it said, your fly is down. Oh, you were trying to help me. All the guys on that row saw something about me that I didn't see about myself that I needed to see. And it's as if Jesus is telling this church, there's something about you, a serious problem that you can't see about yourself that I need to show you. And to help grasp this reality, notice how Jesus, who of course is the best teacher ever, makes this connection between the city's physical condition and the spiritual condition of this church. Laodicea, the city, was a very prosperous city. Two uh, trade routes, popular trade routes, converged in the city. So over the years, it had become very prosperous, a very wealthy city. And it was known for three things. Number one, it was known for being wealthy. It was a, a, had a booming bank center there. Had a lot of wealth. Number two, it was known for its medicine. One of the finest medical facilities in all of Asia Minor was right there in Laodicea. And they were known for how they developed this ISAF that would have been exported across the Roman Empire. And it was a paste and they would put it in, you put it in your eye and it was, it was thought to have, you know, cure, help cure blindness or eye illnesses. And uh, they were known for that. Third, it was a city known for its clothing. So the sheep in that region, they had this really unique, a soft black wool. And they, they figured out how to use that to make these fancy rugs and this fancy clothing. In fact, to this day, that part of the world is known for its textile industry. Now think about those things that were true about that city. And then think about the way that Jesus describes their spiritual state there at the end of verse 17. The irony is very thick here. These are people who are very good at dealing with money. And Jesus is saying, hey, you may be very wealthy, but spiritually you're very poor. Like you've concocted this this eye healing salve, but spiritually you're blind. You've manufactured all this fancy clothing, but Jesus says spiritually when I look at you, you're shameful. You're naked. Y'all are walking around this city like you're rich, arrogant, like you're all that. And I'm here to tell you spiritually you're in bad shape. You've fallen in love with your wealth. You've gotten self-sufficient. You've gotten spiritually apathetic. And you're producing a lukewarm spirituality that makes me want to spit you out of my mouth. Now, they would have immediately known what Jesus meant when he said that. Because as well off as these Laodiceans were, there was one thing that they didn't have in their city. And that was good, clean drinking water. There was no spring bubbling up within the city limits. And so they had to pipe in... Uh, their water from two outside sources uh, from two nearby uh, cities. All right, Some of the water came from the fresh cold springs of Colossae, a city that was close by. Some of the water was popped it, piped in from a nearby uh, city called Heropolis or area called Heropolis, these hot springs. But by the time all of the water arrived to this city through these underground aqueducts, 
it was lukewarm. And because it was traveling through this like primitive pipe system, it also had a stench to it. So you had lukewarm, smelly water. So bad that if you were a visitor to the city, uh, it wasn't uncommon for you to get sick. It wasn't rare to see someone, if they went to drink some water and they weren't expecting it to be the way it was, they'd vomit it back out, they'd spit it back out. And Jesus is using this as a living parable to communicate where this city is at spiritually. Now, there's a lot of confusion about uh, this text right here, specifically about what it says in verse 15. Would that you were either cold or hot. Your translation may say, I wish that you were either cold or hot. All right. The cold right there is not meant there to symbolize like lostness, like spiritual coldness, like a spiritually frozen state, dead. That's not what the cold there is meant to symbolize. And the hot there is not meant to symbolize like a, a, an on-fire saved Christian. All right, as a student of God's Word, you should always ask the question as you begin to try to understand the text, how did the first hearers hear this word? How did the original audience Understand it. How would the Laodiceans have heard what Jesus is saying here when, it, when they heard hot or cold? Their minds would have immediately went hot to the hot springs of Heropolis or cold to the cool, refreshing waters of Colossae. Both of which were good sources of water that served a good purpose. The Colossae springs were cold, clean, refreshing. The hot springs of Heropolis were clean and hot. They were even seen as a source of healing. People would travel there to soak in those hot springs for medicinal purposes. And either one of those, pick one, the Colossae Springs or the hot springs of Heropolis, both of them were way more beneficial, way more preferable, way more useful than the lukewarm, nasty water in Laodicea. Let's think about some modern ways to illustrate the point that Jesus is making here, right? If you're in the mood for it, it's hard to maybe imagine being in the mood for this right now, but hopefully down the road this fall or this winter, there'll be a day you're in the mood for some hot chocolate. Now, when you're in the mood for hot chocolate, who wants their hot chocolate served to them lukewarm? Pick a side, man. You either want it like piping hot, where it's like hot enough for that marsh- those marshmallows to melt into the hot chocolate, or go to the opposite extreme. And get you a cold, tall glass of chocolate milk, right? Don't come in somewhere in the, in, you know, in the middle. Who in their right mind says, serve me up a cup of lukewarm hot chocolate? It serves no purpose. Or who wants a lukewarm cup of coffee, right? Take it hot, take it iced. In the South, we love, we're connoisseurs of a certain kind of drink called sweet tea. And man, I like my sweet tea sweet. Now, my mama made some tea growing sweet tea and it was i'm talking sweet i'm talking sweet sweet i'm talking about hummingbirds like that feed on it sweet and i loved it the other parts of the country where they call it iced tea and they'll give you some sweetener some packets of sugar to mix into it nay nay that's not how you make sweet tea you got to fuse that bucket of sugar into that what's why it's hot and then what you do when it's ready is you pour it into a big cup full of ice over that ice and you drink it cold can i get an amen amen I went to England several years ago, and they have, uh, you know, a, every day, you know, they have kind of a tradition of drinking hot tea. And so I, I joined in, and to, it wasn't that bad. In fact, uh, along the way, I kind, of, I kind of enjoyed it. Every once in a while, I'll get kind of a hankering or get a craving to drink a, a, a cup of hot tea. Don't worry, I don't like lift my pinky up or anything like that, all right? Hot tea, yeah. Cold, sweet tea, Yeah. You know what I never am in the mood for? You know what I never desire is a cup of tea that's been sitting outside for a while that's lukewarm. 
Lukewarm drinks are nasty. If you've ever unintentionally brought a drink that you had forgotten off to the side, have been sitting there longer than you realize, and you bring it up to your lips, and you, you taste a lukewarm drink, you want to spit it out of your mouth. It's not desirable. And Jesus is saying, as he walks in the midst of this church in Laodicea, as he tastes the lukewarm spirituality that some in this church are serving up to him as their living sacrifice, he's saying it nauseates me. Their presence in their city was not bringing the cool gospel refreshment to weary souls like the springs of Colossae, nor was it bringing the gospel healing to sinfully sick souls like the hot springs of Heropolis. Jesus is saying, I wish you were hot, I wish you were cold. In other words, I wish you were serving a purpose, but you've become spiritually useless, ineffective. You've become like your water. Lukewarm. See, what he's doing in this text is he's criticizing ineffective, nominal Christianity. Look at this church. There's not some great sin that be, they're being called out for. There's no harsh rebuke for allowing doctrine to infiltrate the church. There's no crazy lady, wicked woman Jezebel that's creating problems in the church. doesn't seem to be a sin. A big sin issue that had it got out, leaked out into the community, community would have humiliated this church. Their great sin is that they're just there. Stagnant. Still. Spiritually kind of in a state of blah. Like their water. Going through the motions. No sincere heart engagement with the Lord. Just kind of there. And I wonder in a crowd this size, in a church like this, how many of us are guilty of the sin of just kind of spiritually being there? Comfortable. Complacent. Apathetic. Lukewarm. I wonder how many of us show up on a Sunday morning like this, the Lord's Day, with little expectation of the Lord showing up and moving. Just sort of going through the motions, just sort of checking off the boxes, just kind of here. Christianity is not about checking off a few boxes. It's not about checking off the right boxes of belief and the right boxes of religious activity. It's about experiencing a genuine, vibrant, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Church is not about a show. It's about pursuing with hot passion along with your brothers and sisters in Christ or a cool refreshment, the Lord Jesus, becoming like Him, pursuing Him, cherishing Him, experiencing true growth week in and week out in a way that's transforming us to the place that Jesus is spilling out of us in a way that's impacting the community that is around us. If that is not happening, if you are just here, if you're just going through the motions, if there's a lack of passion and lack of dependency on God, it's sickening to Jesus. It makes him want to vomit. Well, how's that for a message this morning? That's some positive and encouraging Caleb preaching for you today. Well, praise God. None of these letters stop at that point right there. There's good news in God's word for spiritually lukewarm people here today. See, not only is it true that Jesus detests spiritual lukewarmness, it's also true that Christ loves lukewarm people. Christ loves lukewarm people. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? That we can drift, that we can rebel, that we can get spiritually apathetic, that we can get lukewarm, that we can lose our way to the point that it nauseates the Lord and His love for you still remains. Believer, never get over this gospel truth about your life. The amount of love that Jesus has for you is greater than the amount of hate that He has for the sin in your life. 
That is why he's not only diagnosing our problem in this passage, he's wooing us back to himself. Because he loves us. That's explicitly expressed by Christ in verse 19. Those whom I love. He's talking about you if you're in Christ. But look at, very quickly, four quick ways that this text expresses his love for lukewarm people. First, notice Christ's loving counsel. Look at the first part of verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. He's a good teacher. Look at how he's speaking in a way that a commercially minded person is going to understand exactly what he's talking about. He'll meet you right where you're at this morning. He will help you understand this morning. This is a very business minded, successful, wealthy group of people who've done well. Their bellies are full of food, their homes are full of possessions, their bank accounts are full of money. Things are good. So good, in fact, that they don't think they need God anymore. You know, along the way in this study, we've seen how the cities that these churches are in serve as illustrations of the spiritual state of the church. A.D. 60, the city of Laodicea was destroyed by an earthquake. And they were doing so well financially. They're so affluent that they rejected all government aid to rebuild that city. They got it all done in-house. They were very proud of that. And you, you were likely to hear somebody say, a Laodicean, on a, on a daily basis, say something on the lines of, we don't need Rome. We're, you know, we're a self-sufficient city. We don't need Rome. And here we are looking at a church this morning in a, a, in a city like this. A church that's so secure in their earthly wealth that now what do they say? Much like their city. But they're not saying it about Rome. They're saying it about God. We don't need God. Now listen, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying this morning that having money is a sin. Right? I'm not saying this morning it's a sin to own stuff. But I want to be very clear. It is very dangerous. And it is very sinful. And it is very appalling to our Lord when our stuff owns us. Not a sin to own stuff. It's a sin when your stuff begins to own you. When because of our stuff, because of our possessions, we slip into this place spiritually where we lose a a passion for God, a desperation for God, because we got some money in the bank. Because things are going okay. Y'all felt that temptation before, right? It's very ironic, isn't it, that printed all our dollar bills is the phrase in God we trust, and yet the more that green stuff we got, the more tempted we are to trust in Him less. And to trust in those things more. The more tempted we are to become more self-sufficient, to lean on Him less, to start looking for our comfort and our joy and our satisfaction and our money and our stuff, I mean, you will spiritually dry up in that place. And Laodicea right here is in that place, and they need the same message that Jesus taught the church in Smyrna who are on the other end of the spectrum. Spectrum. They weren't falling into a place of arrogance because of their stuff. They were in despair because they didn't have any stuff. They were broke. And both of them need the same message. Jesus wants them to know. Christians who are rich. Christians who are poor. That whether you have tens of thousands of dollars. Whether you have millions of dollars. Or whether you got tens of dollars this morning. If you're in Christ, the best thing you have. The most valuable thing that you have is not of this world. Our greatest treasure that never fades, that can never be stolen, that can't be lost is Jesus Christ. He is our riches. And he says, come to me. Come find your satisfaction in me. Come find your hope in me. Not in the things of this world. They will fail you. Find your security in me. 
This is the safe place, eternal place to find your satisfaction and security. Trust me, depend on me. See him as your ultimate treasure. And that'll put some ice cubes in your drink this morning. That'll heat your life up spiritually. If you believe it. Verse 18, Jesus goes on to say, Come also to me for white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. So remember this city boasted in its clothing industry, right? Laodicean clothing. All all over the Roman Empire, it was high in clothing. Like somebody might go, what kind of coat is that? Oh, it's Laodicean. You you must be doing pretty pretty good, pretty well. They, They prided themselves in their clothes. And this is a word for us because we're people who put a big emphasis on outer appearance. You know, even in a place like, we like to look nice. People like to have nice things. Most people like to, you know, put a lot of thought in their appearance and how they're dressed. And Jesus, Jesus' word for them is the same word for us right here in 2022. Never forget what matters most. Your internal spiritual condition in life is what matters most, not your outward appearance. I mean, you can be decked out in the most stylish clothes that money can buy from the fanciest clothing providers, and yet at the same time, from God's perspective, look spiritually shameful, naked. So remember what garments are the most important in your life. The garments of Christ's righteousness. And at salvation, Christ's righteousness is imputed to you. You're permanently clothed. In that moment, you're eternally permanently clothed in Christ's righteousness. You're forever seen. By God, through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, His righteousness becomes your righteousness positionally. But then Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 that in a way, the Christian life daily involves us getting dressed as it were, us putting off the garments of sin that don't align with our identity in Christ and putting on the garments of Christ's character that do. And then look at verse 18. He says, And come get salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So to a church here that's known for its eye medicine, he says, come to me, I provide the real eye salve that will help you to spiritually see clearly again. Do you hear what Jesus is doing through all of this? The counsel that he's giving them? This is really revealing the heart of a loving shepherd who comes alongside of his sheep. And really what he's doing through all of this, he's saying, come back to me. Come back. Come home. You're you're spiritually impoverished, but I've got the riches. You're spiritually naked, but I've got the clothes. Your eyesight is off spiritually. I've got got the real eyesight that'll help you see right. He's a good shepherd that's counseling us. He's a good shepherd that's pursuing us and calling us home. He's saying, come home. And this isn't a suggestion that he kind of means to think about and maybe get back to in a couple weeks. There's an urgency here. Because look at how Christ immediately fires off this exhortation. Verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. We see a direct exhortation from Christ there. His love expressed through that. Be zealous and repent. Do you remember earlier in our study of Revelation, we talked about that word repent. It's become such a churchy word. We've forgotten something about it. That There's, there's an immediacy. There's like a, 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 a right now type of mentality that needs to be attached to it. When Jesus says repent, like if you understand what he's talking about, you need to be repenting from, then he says do it now. Like turn now. Turn to Christ now in this moment. Don't wait. Uh, so my boys are already pe- playing uh, fall uh, baseball. Kind of started this, this weekend. 
We were out there yesterday for some evaluations and practicing a little bit. And there's one thing, if you've ever coached T-ball, if you've ever coached Little League, there's one thing you're going to try to keep hammering into the heads of those kids. And it's, I call it the doctrine of hustle. Probably a hundred times yesterday you heard coaches all over that park going, hustle, hustle, hustle. Why do we do that? You know, hustle means you don't, you don't lollygag, you don't meander, you don't jog to your position, you don't skip down the first baseline. When you get a hit, you run with purpose and passion and aggression and kind of a sense of urgency. Why do we pound that into their heads? One, yes, because we want to win. You can't win without some hustle. So selfishly, yes, that's the reason why we do that. But there's also something about learning to hustle that teaches you something important about life. That there's, there's times in life There's times in in the type of work that you do. There's times as we go through our everyday life that it calls for a a deep sense of urgency, a a certain kind of passion and focus. We do that because one of those days, one of those little t-ball boys, they may be in an operating room one day assisting a doctor who's doing a surgery, and the doctor turns to them and says, scalpel? Well, they better have a doctor and a hustle in that moment. It's not going to go well for them if they're like, I'll be there in a second, doc. Give you about 20 seconds. I'm watching this TikTok video right here. You better show some hustle in that moment. There are moments that those boys are going to need to demonstrate a sense of urgency. That's why we teach it to them at a young age. Because there's big moments in life that call for a sense of urgency. Listen to this. We could think of all kinds of different surgery, operating room type moments, warfare type moments emergency type moments big moments in a in a business meeting in a conference room where it calls for a sense of of awareness and passion and focus and urgency a sense of hustle but no, no matter none of those moments are more important none of those moments call for a greater sense of urgency than the kind of kingdom moments that Jesus is presenting right here a moment in which some of us even here this morning need to experience a revived, refreshed relationship with our living God. That's not something, once you realize there's that space between you and Him, that you just kind of have a whatever attitude and loaf about. He's calling you to have a sense of urgency about it. This is something that you need to hustle to the altar about. Or another way that we could say it, this is something that you need to hustle to the door about. So what do you mean by that? Look at verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens it, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You see Christ's merciful invitation right here. This verse is often, I've heard it used in like evangelism training, but if you look at it in the context, it's actually meant for a lukewarm Christian. And it is an incredible picture of a Savior who never gives up on you. Look at the picture right here, right? And hear hear what Jesus is saying right here through this picture. He's saying your attitude stinks so bad that it makes me want to puke. But here I am. Haven't left you. I'm with you. No matter how nauseated he is by your spiritual apathy, by your rebellion, by your wandering, by your sin, he ain't leaving you. We give up on people really quick. When people nauseate us with their attitude and their actions and their behavior, we're like, peace out. Jesus isn't like that. The very thing that nauseates him, he'll stand there. 
and stay nauseated next to you and pursue you until you come back to him. You don't got anybody in your life like that. Therefore, you better know him. You better draw near to him. This picture right here is a proof of his love for you. This morning, behold, I stand at the door and knock. In other words, I'm not leaving you. You cannot run him off. He's always right there. And it's not just that he's right there. He makes himself available. Do you hear him speaking to you through this text this morning? It's not just that he's just outside the door. He's actually pursuing you. He's speaking to you. Can you hear his voice? Through this picture of Christ, we can hear his voice. And you need to get a more clear biblical vision of Christ this morning who pursues you, the shepherd who pursues your wandering soul, because often we kind of think of him as this distant, big, mean God. If I ever get the courage to wander back up into his throne room, he's going to crack me on the head. And here we see a father's heart for his kids. Outside, what is he doing? He's knocking. And you can hear how gentle his voice is through this picture. Not yelling, saying, Jonathan, will you open the door? I love you. Jonathan, will you open the door? I'm not leaving. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how far you've drifted. I don't care how spiritually apathetic you are. Will you open the door? I'm here. And when we open the door in humility, what does it say there? What does he say? He doesn't say, I'm going to come in and destroy you. He says, I want to come in and I want to eat with you. I want to dine with you. I want to fellowship. What an incredible, undeserved, merciful invitation. You could almost understand if with this church in Laodicea, he would have just bailed out on them in verse 17. Here's your report card. Y'all don't listen to me. You don't depend on me. You've given up on me. I'm giving up on you. You almost could understand if he does that, but he doesn't. The letter doesn't end. We've got more of the letter right here for us to look at, and it's a beautiful picture of a father's heart for us. Believer in Christ, you need to hear something this morning about this Savior who wants to dine with you and fellowship with you. You know what that means? It means he doesn't just love you. He likes you. He wants intimate fellowship with you. He doesn't just want to save us. He wants to hang out with us. He wants to eat with us. He wants to fellowship with us. So open the door. You say, well, I, okay, I, I got to clean the house up though first this morning. Maybe I'm not ready. I just, I just need another week to get things in order. You're, you're talking in a way that sounds like you don't get the gospel. If you're in Christ, remember what the gospel is. Saying that means you're missing the point of the gospel. But I've made a mess. No, he says, open the door and I'll help you clean up the mess. I want to do that. Open the door. We can start again. Open the door. And like all of these letters, it ends. Here it ends again right here with a promise. A peek into the future that gives us this final motivation to hustle to the door. And to reconnect with Christ and to begin to run our race of faith zealously. Look at 21. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Christ's motivating promise. Just think about that promise for just a moment. 
Think about this promise right here that will be fulfilled in your life one day if you are a believer. Jesus given all authority in the universe by his Father. Jesus given his throne where he's seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where he's at. That's what he's been given. And here it says, here we are, a bunch of wandering sheep, a bunch of knuckle-headed sheep who can't get things right half the time. What does he say to us? One day I will give you my throne. One day you will be ruling and reigning as co-regents with me. In light of that, how can we live for anything else? In light of that, how can we keep that door closed a moment longer? In light of that, how can we not hustle to the door this morning? In light of that, how can we not invite Him in? Invite Him in today. Repent of spiritual indifference. Repent of spiritual lukewarmness and reconnect with him reconnect with the one who became poor so that you can become rich reconnect with the one whose garments were stripped so that we could be covered in his righteousness reconnect with the one who was wounded so that we could be healed reconnect with the one who dines with sinners like us and calls us his bride he is worthy of so much more than half praise in our heart this morning church He is worthy of more than half-surrendered hearts. He's worthy of more than just being here. He's worthy of more than spiritual lukewarmness. You know, I can't speak for every church, but as the pastor of this church right here, I can tell you this, based on this passage right here, in the whole of Scripture, He is worthy, as we think about the Gospel this morning, of having a bunch of sincere, redeemed people. We're not perfect, we're sinners saved by grace, but people who are redeemed and who are seeking to be Romans 12, 1, zealous disciples here at Schindler Drive Baptist Church. So hustle to the door. Hustle to the door. That's the message. Hustle to the door. Let's pray.